to the Sabbath School Bible Study Podcast. Today is Sunday, January 31. I invite you to pause the audio so that you can pray asking for God's guidance as you study His Word. And I'll be right back. Doom on the Nations Isaiah chapter 13 verse 1, which reads, the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw, has a heading that names Isaiah as the author. Compare Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1, which reads, The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1, which reads, The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It seems also to begin a new section of his book. Chapters 13 through 23 contain oracles of judgment against various nations. Let's take a look. Question, why do the prophecies against the nations begin with Babylon? Isaiah chapter 10 verses 5 through 34 had already announced judgment against Assyria, which posed the greatest danger in Isaiah's day, while Isaiah chapter 14 verses 24 through 27 briefly reiterates the Lord's plan to break Assyria. Chapters 13 through 23 deal mainly with other threats, Babylon being the most important. Endowed with a rich and ancient cultural, religious, and political legacy, Babylon later emerged as the superpower that conquered and exiled Judah. But from the human perspective, of Isaiah's time, it would not have been readily apparent that Babylon would threaten God's people. During much of Isaiah's ministry, Assyria dominated Babylon. From 728 BC, when Tiglath-Pileser III took Babylon and was proclaimed king of Babylon under the throne named Pulu, or Paul, see Second Kings, chapter fifteen, verse nineteen, and First Chronicles, chapter five, verse twenty-six. Assyrian kings retook Babylon several times: seven hundred and ten B.C., seven hundred and two B.C., six hundred and eighty-nine B.C., and six hundred and forty-eight B.C. Babylon, however, eventually would become the great superpower in the region, the power that would destroy the Judean kingdom. Let's read Isaiah chapter 13. The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw, lift up a standard on the bare hill, raise your voice to them, Wave the hand that they may enter the doors of the nobles. I have commanded my consecrated ones. 
I have even called my mighty warriors, my proudly exalting ones, to execute my anger. A sound of tumult on the mountains, like that of many people, a sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts is mustering the army for battle. They are coming from a far country. From the farthest horizons, the Lord and his instruments of indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal men scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. And it will be that like a hunted gazelle, or like sheep with none to gather them. They will each turn to his own people, and each one flee to his own land. Anyone who is found will be thrust through, and anyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their little ones also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them, who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold. And their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children. And Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there, but desert creatures will lie down there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will also live there, and shaggy goats will frolic there. 
hyenas will howl in their fortified towers and jackals in their luxurious palaces. Her fateful time also will soon come and her days will not be prolonged. About this reading, notice how strong the language is. Why does a loving God do these things or allow these things to happen? Certainly some innocent people will suffer as well, wouldn't they? See verse 16. How do we understand this action by God? What should these texts and all the texts in the Bible that talk about God's anger and wrath against sin and evil tell us about the egregious nature of sin and evil? Isn't the mere fact that a God of love would respond this way enough evidence to show us just how bad sin is? We have to remember that this is Jesus speaking these warnings through Isaiah, the same Jesus who forgave, healed, pled with, and admonished sinners to repent. In your own mind, how have you come to understand this aspect of a loving God's character? Ask yourself this question as well. Could not this wrath actually stem from his love? If so, how so? Or look at it from another perspective, that of the cross, where Jesus himself, bearing the sins of the world, suffered worse than anyone else ever has suffered, even those innocents who suffered because of the sins of the nation. How does the suffering of Christ on the cross help answer these difficult questions? Additional reading, select the quotes from Ellen White. In sparing the life of Cain, the murderer, God gave the world an example of what would be the result of permitting the sinner to live to continue a course of unbridled iniquity. Through the influence of Cain's teaching and example, multitudes of his descendants were led into sin until the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. In mercy to the world, God blotted out its wicked inhabitants in Noah's time. In mercy, he destroyed the corrupt dwellers in Sodom. Through the deceptive power of Satan, the workers of iniquity obtain sympathy and admiration and are thus constantly leading others to rebellion. It was so in Cain's and in Noah's day and in the time of Abraham and Lot. It is so in our time. It is in mercy to the universe that God will finally destroy the rejectors of his grace. The Great Controversy, page 543. And that is all for today. Please subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss the next episodes. 
and also some special content featuring interviews about the book of Isaiah. Thank you.